Well, it's often important that our ears be attuned to different kinds of sounds. When you lie in bed at night, you, if you've been in your house for long enough, you know the kinds of sounds that are normal, like the sound of the furnace, maybe the sound of a passing train, the sound of a dog in your house, or another kind of pet. But if you're a light sleeper, you know when something doesn't sound quite right. And when it doesn't sound quite right, you usually get up, I imagine, and, and check out what the sound is. Sometimes us dads of young children are more selective light sleepers. <laughs> when the kids are crying or fussing, we all of a sudden become heavy sleepers, right? But when everything else, anything else doesn't sound quite right, we, we usually jump up and, and, and our protective instincts kick in. could be something as simple as water dripping somewhere in the house or maybe something going on, on outside the house. We instantly wake up and, and we usually think something like, while we're laying there still, what's that sound? And where's that coming from? And so it's important for us to recognize sounds. It's important for us to recognize voices. Sometimes when we answer the phone and the caller doesn't identify himself or herself, we think, I know that voice, but I can't quite think of who it belongs to right now. I just can't place it. And that sometimes can be a little bit embarrassing because you know that the person on the other end hasn't identified themselves because they assume that you know who they are. And so you don't want to let on that you actually don't know who it is. And so you just keep on talking, right? And hope that somewhere in the conversation, something they say, it'll click in who it actually is. And this is where call display, of course, has become really handy lately. But all of that points to the importance of being able to hear sounds and being able to identify voices and, and words. Sometimes in the, maybe what we would call the strange or the frowning providence of God, he has taken that ability of hearing away from some people. And for some people, age will sometimes lessen our ability to hear. But in the Bible, hearing is not so much a physical ability. It is a metaphor for the ability to understand or to put words into action. Jesus often said, whoever has ears, let him hear. It's the same thing with eyes and our ability to see. Matthew 13, verses 15 to 17 says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But he continues on and says, Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is saying there, when someone's ears are sensitive to God's revelation, to his words, and when they understand with their hearts, the promise is is that they will be blessed. That's the promise from Jesus, and so we need to have sensitive, discerning ears. And you notice there that there's a connection in the Bible between words and the ears and the heart. And that comes especially clear when we think about the effect of God's word. 
Sometimes the Bible simply portrays it as God's voice. Most times when we think of God's word, we think of God's written word, the Bible. God has been kind, he has been gracious, he has been generous to leave us with his word. We have access to God's word, but we have to hear God's word and see God's word and understand God's word and believe God's word and obey God's word. In other words, God's word has to penetrate into our hearts, into our very being. And you can see that very idea in Hebrews 4, chapter 12, or verse Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. says, Therefore the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Word of God discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you were here last week, we looked at those verses in the context of Hebrews 4. But for today's message, I want to start with those verses. But I'm going to take a little bit of an excursion out of Hebrews today. We're going to go away from home base for a little bit and take a bit of a trip just around the area. We're not going to go far. We're going to stay in the Bible. But I just want us to take a couple of Uh, Let's call them day trips around the Bible to see the importance of hearing the unmistakable voice of God and of being able to recognize when he speaks and of listening closely to what he says. When it comes to God's word, we don't ever want to be left wondering, what's that sound? I think I know that voice, but I just can't place it. It is important that you know God's word, that you know when God is speaking. And we're asking God to show us today why it is important. And so there are a number of places right in the Bible that tell us what the Bible does and and, and what makes it beneficial for us. And I've sort of structured this this message around those important passages that talk about the Bible. There are more passages than this, but whenever we talk about the importance of God's word, these, are, these would be the go-to passages. They all say something like, the word of God is, or all scripture is, or sometimes God is the actual speaker, and he says, my word is like. We really want to pay attention when he says that. But in all of these, we're not left in the dark as to why we should pay attention to God's voice. And he, God himself, wants us to be able to recognize his voice and to hear his voice and to obey his voice. So let's start with Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. I already read those verses, but you see there that the author is saying something about the word of God there, right? The word of God is. That's how it starts out. He's going to tell us something about the word of God, some specific aspect of the Word of God. What does he say there? He says, the Word of God is living and active. And so right there, we can say a few things already, right? It's, it's not dead. The Word of God is, is not just a history book. It's, it's not just a biography book where we read about events or, or people of the past. It's not just a textbook where, where we learn to, uh, just information on different subjects. No, it's active and it's living. It's just another way of saying that the Bible does stuff to us. It's doing all sorts of stuff every time we read it. 
Actually, if we, when we read it or not, it's got a life to it. There are actually living and active words in there. It's almost a little bit like eating yogurt. There's, there's living bacteria in there, right? Peter calls this the living and abiding word of God. It stays there and it lives in there. So what, what's it doing? Well, it tells us here, the word of God is like a sword. It is, in fact, sharper than any two-edged sword. And here's what it's doing. It's piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of, here it is, the heart. So it's piercing and discerning. The word of God has the unique ability to get right into us to worm its way in and to penetrate into the places where nothing else can get into. It's like a sword that's not just sharp on one side, like most swords are, but on both sides. It it, it cuts through anything that's in the way. When it's talking there about soul and spirit or, or joints and marrow, those are things that can't normally be separated. But the Word of God divides what can't otherwise be divided. No, the marrow is the stuff inside the bones. And the word of God here, it says, gets, gets in, right even into there. It goes past the hard stuff and gets right into the marrow. Those are all pictures to show that God's word gets right into the innermost recesses of our being, whether it's uh, the psychological parts, the soul and spirit, or whether it's the physical parts, the joints and marrow. There's, there's no part that God's word does not touch. Now, some of you might protest a little bit and say, I know so-and-so who, who seems to be dead to the Word of God. It doesn't have any effect on him or her. I read the Bible to them, I, I, I pray for them, but nothing. The Bible doesn't seem to be living and active in that person's life, you might say. But keep reading Hebrews 4, verse 12. This is actually talking about the power of God's Word here in judgment. The Word of God discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And it does it to such a degree that, verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, listen, to whom we must give account. There's a judgmental aspect to God's Word here. Sometimes we don't like to think of God's Word as being judgmental, do we? Christians are often accused of that. And sometimes, rightly and sadly so, Christians really should not be judgmental. But God's word will be judgmental every time. It will be offensive. We are held accountable to God's word. And God's word, by its very nature, is going to poke and to, and to prod and to pierce and to penetrate past all the stuff on the outside, past all the stuff that we think we can hide, and right into our thoughts and our intentions and our inner motivations. When we hold all of those things beside God's word, all our motives are brought to light. God's word represents God himself. God is holy, right? And our hearts, the Bible tells us, are desperately wicked. And it's with that realization that we all need to come to the point where we repent And we need to believe and we need to pin all our hopes on Jesus Christ. 
Because if it depended on our thoughts and intentions, we'd be done, right? But if it depends on the accomplishments of Christ, then we will be judged somehow worthy to be able to stand before God. So God's word penetrates and exposes and judges. And even though that's totally and absolutely necessary and even beneficial, that sort of portrays the the hard edge of God's word. But we also find out that God's word is profitable and it's useful for our lives right now. And so turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. These are familiar verses to some of you perhaps. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Some of your versions may say inspired. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so here we have another comment from God through the Apostle Paul as he's writing to Timothy on the topic of his word. All scripture is. And then he tells us what it is. This time, though, he's talking specifically about the written word, the the written scriptures. We learn a lot about God's word in these two verses. And just before he talks about the profitability of God's word, don't miss that first line. All scripture is breathed out by God. What we have here, in God's word, are without a doubt God's very words. Paul here is making the weight and, and the gravity of this understandable to our, our human minds by writing that these words, all of them, come from the very, the, the very breath of God. They're breathed out by God. They emanate from God. They, they represent his, his omniscient, all-knowing mind. All scripture is breathed out by God. Yes, humans were involved in the process. But 2 Peter 1 verse 20 says that no scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy, another way of saying God's word, was ever produced by the will of man. But listen to what it says next. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we learn there that everything that's written in this book is from God. Even though it came from the mouth and the pens or whatever they used as writing utensils back then of humans, what they were writing was carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was as if God was writing. This very fact gives these scriptures an inherent authority, doesn't it? And it should give us complete confidence in the words of these book of this book. And that's what Paul was really writing to encourage Timothy with. He was writing to Timothy at a time when God's word was being questioned and attacked. But with words like these, Paul is aiming to restore Timothy's confidence in the scriptures. Now you can read the, the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3 at home, but in verse 14, so just before verses 16 and 17, he says, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Don't sway from it. Keep going in it. And in chapter 4, right after verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3, he says, preach the word. 
even though he predicts that there is going to be a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening, there it is, from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul says there a time is coming. Well, brothers and sisters, we are living in a time like that. I was just looking at a website of a church actually in our area. Less than 45 minutes away, I think. This church has all the latest technology. Lights, smoke, video, cool graphics, coffee bar, and coffee is spelt with a K. That's the hip way of spelling coffee. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but we always have to ask when we look at stuff like that is, if, if those things actually serve the Word of God. Sometimes wonder about that, especially when I see that one of the ways this church is described is as, quote, creatively unique in its style and fresh in its expression. It is fun and forever young at heart because it is filled with an abundance of laughter and enthusiasm, end quote. Well, that'll scratch some people's itching ears, won't it? the churches like that that attract people in our day. People have, it seems anyways, have more of an appetite for pyrotechnics than proclamation. They want a church filled with laughter and enthusiasm. But where is there anything in that about being filled with the very presence of God through the proclamation of the word of God? Paul's remedy for Timothy in that kind of atmosphere was to preach the word. Why? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. Look at what scripture does. It's profitable, it says there, for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. The living and active word will perform that work in us. It will teach you. It will reprove. It will that hurts sometimes. It will reprimand you. It will admonish you. It will rebuke you. It will correct you, praise the Lord. It will get you back on the right path. It will train you. And look at the end game there. Why does it do all this stuff? That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. When you utilize the word, when you put yourself under the word, when you allow yourself to be influenced by the word, the promise is that you will be adequately prepared to face whatever might come your way. The scriptures are the only thing that can ultimately do all of that. Use them. Don't neglect them. They're useful and totally sufficient for everything in life and godliness, for everything that you need in order to believe, and for everything that you need in order to live. God's word is profitable. Thirdly, God's word has, pra- has practical and eminently helpful benefits. Turn way back into the Old Testament to Psalm 19. I 
and just at verse 7. The law of the Lord, it's talking about God's word, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. We can go right to verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. I love that passage. It's a, it's a beautiful picture or an example even of Hebrew poetry. It's filled with, with paral, parallel lines and parallel thoughts. But all of these, when you take it all together, talks about how the Bible is completely adequate and completely helpful for every area of life. It sort of restates what 2 Timothy 3 just said, doesn't it? You'll, you'll see all those synonyms there, or synonyms for God's word. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. Just notice there that it's all of the Lord. This is God's word. It, it tells us again here that this all emanated from God. And then it tells us the, the qualities of the word of God. It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure, it's clean, it's true. And then the parallelism just keeps going. So when you, if you write this down, you just write one line after the other one and you can see the parallels as you go down. You can almost make a graph sort of thing. Where it tells us there now how, how God's perfect word is filled with practical benefits. So if you're feeling low, God's word will revive your soul. It's going to breathe new life into you. If you need a dose of wisdom and you feel like you just can't figure out maybe what the right decision is or, 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 or you just plain need some, some advice and some counsel, start with God's word. It promises there to make wise the simple. If you're feeling heartsick and despondent, this promises that God's word rejoices the heart. When you need some understanding and feel like you can't see the way ahead very clearly, turn to God's word. It's going to, it promises, enlighten your eyes. God's word endures forever. It's sustainable. It's, it's time-tested. It doesn't change. It's always relevant. God's word is righteous altogether. It will never lead you astray. It's completely trustworthy. It will always point you in the right direction. God's word is completely sufficient for everything in life and godliness. And on a practical level, the word of God is eminently helpful. God has an answer for all of life's issues. God's word is the go-to resource for everything in your life. And where it doesn't address an issue directly, you can find general principles in God's word that will get at the issue one way or the other. This means that we don't have to go to the world for its man-centered philosophies. In God's word, we have everything we need. It means we don't have to go to extra-biblical revelation or to, as is the common thing today, dig down deep within ourselves for the answers to life's issues. God's word is sufficient. Of course, everything that's in the world ultimately has its source in God. God has given wisdom and he's given innovation 
to people in every field and in every discipline. And we should make use of those things. But everything needs to be tested against God's word as to its uh, truthfulness and as to its usefulness. Don't ever let anyone tell you that the Bible is an outdated book with no practical benefit. Psalm 19 tells you that the very opposite is true. The Bible is practically helpful in every area in which we really need help. Mostly, of course, in salvation itself, right? Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And how should we respond to the practical benefits of God's word? What kind of reaction should this elicit in us? Verse 10, more and more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Kind of gets you salivating just a little bit, doesn't it? Psalm 119, verse 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Is that your experience? Especially as God's people, we should delight in God's word. Why? Because it is eminently helpful and practically helpful in every area and for every mood and for every situation. We could actually go to all the verses in Psalm 119 as well. That's the longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. But in almost every one of those verses, the psalmist talks about his love for for the Word of God and for the uh, talks about the indispensable nature of God's Word for himself. He needed it. It was like breath. For the psalmist, the word of God was literally life-giving. He could not live without it. He keeps on talking about how it revives him, resuscitates him, how it shows him the way and how God's laws are. He talks about them being the joy of his heart. It's a beautiful psalm that extols the vast riches of God's word. But I want to end with maybe a little bit more of an obscure verse, a verse that kind of um, maybe doubles down on the authority and power and the devastating effect of the Word of God. I sung about that a little bit this morning, that God's Word thunders down. Well, the verse is in Jeremiah 23. If there, if there was ever a, a place in the Bible where you want to see the pure folly of not listening to the Word of God, it's in Jeremiah. Over and over again, you read about uh, poor Jeremiah faithfully speaking God's word to the people of Israel. And over and over again, you'll also come across a line that says, but they did not listen. Now, they didn't have a hearing problem. Their ears were, were right dialed into the voice of God. It wasn't a recognition issue, but they willfully ignored God's word. They willfully ignored God's warnings. And in chapter 23, God really gets after the leaders that lead the people astray. There are people out there, then and now, who try to make it sound like their words are authoritative. In Jeremiah 23, they're called false prophets. He says there in verse 16, Don't listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak, they speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. If this was Paul speaking here, he would have said, There are people out there who will tickle your ears. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll entertain you. They'll even fill you with hope. But don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Don't be duped by them and 
and, and even by their maybe sweet-sounding promises. Down in verse 25, now God is talking, and he says this, I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. Sounds like a certain segment of so-called church in our day, doesn't it? I have a dream. God told me. And then they quote something other than Scripture. If they said, God told me, and they read the Bible, it would be worth something, right? But no, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. But go down to verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. There's a command to us preachers. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. And then here comes the verse that I that wanted you to see. Jeremiah 23, verse 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? There you see it. There's nothing that packs a punch like God's word. It is powerful. It wields authority. It's got fire behind it. It's got a hammer-like quality to it, and not just any hammer, the kind of hammer that can break granite into pieces. That's what God's Word does. It comes down, and it lands with power and with authority and with punch. We live in a day and age when we need to hear this. First of all, the very concept of some kind of authority uh, makes people raise their eyebrows, you know, and sort of hold up their their hands into a stop signal and say, stop right there. Are you saying I have to actually do what the Bible says? That it speaks authoritatively? We live in a time when everyone wants to be their own authority. No one wants to listen to anyone else. The, the lie is that authority comes within ourselves, not from outside ourselves. Even if there are so-called authorities, everyone thinks that they have a right to challenge the, that authority, don't they? We've got the final vote. So we need an ultimate authority. And nothing can stand against the authority of God's word. The creator has the final word. And we had better put ourselves under that authority lest we get burned or smashed to pieces. Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I might make it seem a little bit more there's a difference between authority and authoritarianism. That might make it seem a little bit more authoritarian than it really is, but I think we need to hear it that way sometimes, especially here in our culture. We know, though, that even though God's word does pack a punch, even though it does have power, even though it demands our ears and our eyes and our hearts, it's not a subversive authority. It's a benevolent, kind, loving authority that beckons us to listen and to obey and to submit for our good, and for God's glory. It is a loving thing for God to leave us with his words. Is it not? And with his instructions? And ultimately with the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ, his son. It is through him that God's voice is most vividly heard. It is through the son that God speaks the great and gracious gift of salvation. If you have not yet been saved, hear his voice and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. The Lord part 
means that he is your authority. Repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and submit yourself under him. And if you are a believer, the exhortation this morning is to be thankful for his word. Be attuned to God's voice. Tune yourself to his voice for conviction, yes, but also for practical help and for an authoritative guide. Through the words of God, you will be equipped for every good work. Let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us. We sometimes take that very fact for granted, but we thank you that you do speak and that you have spoken. We thank you that we have your words available to us in the form of the Scriptures. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark about yourself, about your great gift of salvation, about how we ought to respond to your gift once you awaken faith, about how we should live, about what we should do, and about how we will be held accountable finally to you. We've read today about the fact that nothing will be hidden from your sight. We thank you also, Lord, for not hiding yourself from us. You've revealed yourself. You've revealed your nature through your Son. You have revealed yourself through your Word. And we pray today that we might rightly respect your Word, that we would honor it, that we would obey it, that we would trust in its promises. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ. Amen.